Hello everyone, welcome to episode 174 of the In Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassana. Hello. Uh, and this week we're going to talk about Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Football Manager Touch 22. Uh, Andrew is bringing some chat about Subnautica Below Zero, the follow-up to Subnautica. Uh, and he's also going to tell us about Death's Door. That's definitely one I'm I'm interested in. Um, so with that, we haven't got any news, no updates. Let's just jump straight into the things we've been playing. Okay, Andrew, we'll start with you. Subnautica Below Zero. How are you going with that one? Pretty well. I've beaten it since I started it. It's a sequel to the original Subnautica, which I played earlier in the year, and both these games launched on Switch back in May, I think. Might have been June. It's not important. I just, it's important to me that I have these details in mind, but anyway. uh, It's set in the Arctic after the events of the first Subnautica, and I play as a woman named Robin, who has dropped down into this zone illegally against the wishes and the the corporate rules of the the mega corporations that rule this science fiction world uh, in order to search for her sister Sam who has been reported dead uh in this arctic area and Robin is going there to find out what actually happened because she doesn't believe the reason that was given to her by the corporation the big difference between Subnautica and Below Zero is Below Zero is very plot-driven instead of exploration-driven. Uh, in the original game, I had to, for the most part, find things by myself. There was like a radio I could build that would intercept SOS signals that other survivors of the, the crashed ship in that game had sent out, and I could use that to track down their pods and then... I could follow more breadcrumbs from there to find more things, but nothing was really specifically highlighted for me where I was supposed to go. I had to find the game's goals, like everything I had to do in order to escape the planet, which uh, ended up being a lot more than just building a ship. I had to find all those things by myself. Uh, In Below Zero, your mission is very clear from the outset, and it gives me multiple waypoints I can just follow except for the three things that you need to actually find and visit to actually complete Robin's mission Uh, those things I actually did have to find by myself and in spite of that premise that I described of Robin coming to this planet to find out what happened to her sister I could still do that that was still a goal I could accomplish but the plot is actually pretty quickly derailed by other things going on that start taking precedence i could actually just finish the game without finding out what happened to sam (laughs) it it doesn't actually matter to the plot which is unfortunate because it's actually kind of an interesting premise this 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 relationship between two sisters uh two women of color in fact it's uh something you don't see in video games too often so i was a little disappointed that that kind of fell out of focus once i i discovered this other thing happening in the region but I, I enjoyed this, that part of the story anyway. It, it ends in a really interesting place and goes to some pretty cool visuals. 
There are new mechanics in Below Zero compared to the base game. It uh, has a much larger ground-based environment to explore. The first game had a few islands that weren't very big. Uh, you could walk across them in a few minutes and find everything that's on them in even less time than that. But this has a very large snow-covered region to explore that's filled with these giant worms that will swallow you whole if you're not keeping moving and even gives you a, a snowmobile that you can drive through there. That's how big this area was. And I felt this area did not play to Subnautica's strength. It's, it's an underwater exploration game and... The on-ground stuff just did not feel good to explore, and everything looked the same, so I was constantly getting lost until I was finally learning to navigate using my compass instead of trying to visualize where I am compared to where I was. Uh, just, I didn't like that region. And that region also introduces temperature mechanics, <laughs> this is actually kind of ridiculous given how water works, but uh, if you, when you're outside the water, you have to maintain your temperature. <laughs> but when you're in the water, it's no problem. Whatever. <laughs> it's to the point where if Robin is freezing above ground, I can jump in the water, in the frozen Arctic water, to get her body temperature back under control. This 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 whole part of the game was just ridiculous. It, it did not work, and uh, if they do... If they do uh, follow up with more Subnautica releases, I hope they just stick to the water because <laughs> this this I was not a fan of this. It did not work. <laughs> uh, this is a much more streamlined game than the first game. It's a much smaller map. All the locations to find in it are more localized. Uh, it's easier to find blueprints. A lot of the reason that Subnautica took me so long to finish was because some of the key blueprints that I needed to find, I, I just couldn't find them, especially it took me a good 10 hours or so to get my first underwater base built because it just took me that long to find rooms that I could scan to get the blueprints for them. In this game, a few minutes into the game, I found an entire, like, fully operational science base that I could scan and I had a, a base built in a little over an hour so <laughs> a lot more streamlined in that regard the resources are a lot closer to the landing pod in this one I don't have to go quite as far out to get some of the more common materials I need to build things so that was that was much less of a headache compared to the first game in, in terms of forming things so I could go on a building spree when I reached the next tech upgrade. It still took me about 20 hours to finish this game, and I, I think the first Subnautica was 30 hours. Might have been 40, but still a shorter game. And my big complaint about the original Subnautica was once I, I reached the end of the tech tree where you could build this giant submarine... I felt like the entire game just became about the submarine, and I didn't enjoy the submarine. Uh, and I, I hoped that Below Zero didn't have the submarine. My wish was granted. This game does not have that goddamn submarine <laughs> in it. it. Instead, it has this thing called the Sea Truck, which is actually, I, I, I thought was really cool. Uh, it's a modular vehicle. So the first thing I find, I would find like the the cab where I actually drive it. And then past that, I could scan 
the module parts for it. Like there's a sleeping module and then there's an aquarium module that will capture fish for me as I'm driving the sea truck. And that's useful because the fish are, are your food and your water source for the survival mechanics. And uh, another one is a fabrication bay where I could actually build things in that area. The sea truck was just a lot easier to use. Uh, it, it's It's much much smaller so i was able to navigate it through caves a lot easier and i just like the sea truck a lot better than the submarine i was much happier to use it and i thought it was a pretty cool idea too another big difference between below zero and the original subnautica it wasn't as terrifying as that game was there were far fewer sea monsters in this there there was these giant jellyfish I ran into at some point, but they seemed pretty harmless compared to the the giant jellyfish in Subnautica, which were like Cthulhu, basically. <laughs> if they saw me, they would make like this terrifying noise, and then they would turn towards me, and they would look like they had eyes, but it was just markings on their the front side of their membranes and it looked like they were staring at me and trying to kill me while they shot electricity at me it was terrifying and <laughs> they don't have any enemies like that in this game although there are still a few giant sea monsters that will try to eat you but just just not in nearly the quantity or the size or the terrifying design as in the first game and also i didn't find a single area in this game that was just pitch black which i did run into a lot in the first game which was uh, another uh, big problem with uh, terror because uh, one of my deepest fears is deep water. So if, I, if I'm going deep enough down that there's no light, <laughs> I'm not having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> there are pros and cons between the two versions of the game. Like There are some things I liked in Subnautica better. I did like the open exploration a little better in that one, but I did like how Below Zero was a little better about giving me resources and the tools I needed just up front instead of being very withholding about where things I need to progress are actually at. But uh, I did do prefer the the more discovery that I had to do in the first game to, to find the goals I needed to do to escape versus Blow Zero, which just basically gives you a checklist of everything you have to do to finish the game. Uh, and the Switch performance, the first Subnautica, I, I I went at it pretty hard for the frame rate sometimes and the draw distance and the, the pop-in. That actually was much improved in Below Zero. I didn't notice those things nearly as much, but this game crashes every 20 to 30 minutes and it just got really annoying after a while, especially since mm. even though this is a survival game, it doesn't have autosave. It works purely on manual saves. So until I got into the habit of saving like literally every few minutes, like I, I really was constantly facing the possibility that the game was going to crash and I was going to lose everything I had just done. So that was that was pretty annoying. So I, I think I said this about Subnautica too. I think it's a good game. I did enjoy playing it. I just, I think the Switch is probably not the platform you want to play it on. And they've had a good six plus months to uh, patch out those kinks and it hasn't happened yet. So maybe it never will. Maybe play this on another platform if you have the possibility. But... <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not mad I played these games. I enjoyed them. Nice. Uh, sounds sounds interesting. Um, not sure it's one I'll ever get to, but uh, yeah, I, I like the, the horror sound of the first one a lot. The window is long since passed, but the first one was given out free as part of Sony's 
play at home thing for COVID. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people may have this and have just forgotten. But (laughs) if if you took that bundle that was given out last year, you probably own this game. (laughs) Yeah, check it out if you have it. Uh, Yeah, if not, have a think about it. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll go next. I'll have a quick word about uh, Football Manager Touch 2022. Just to explain again what the Touch version of Football Manager is. Uh, it's not just a touchscreen version of Football Manager from the PC. It's a streamlined version of the PC game. And the benefit of this is it's it's a lot more like the, the earliest versions of F- Football Manager or even its former title championship manager uh, which makes everything a lot quicker so you can get through the seasons quicker you can get through the matches quicker conceptually it's very similar to the xbox edition which is now on game pass uh, i think like last year's xbox edition was built off the back of football manager touch it's not one of the series that they you know change wholly every year it's like it's constantly building upon strong foundations and adding to those things to make it more immersive more realistic to have those little um, interesting little narratives that just happen as you play it. Like, there's no story writing, but that doesn't mean that the things that happen aren't entertaining in a narrative sense. With that, you know, there's uh, changes, minor changes to, like, how you deal with the media and talk to your players. Um, In the touch version now, you you get a better idea of how your players are reacting to the things you're telling them or to the things you're saying in press conferences the matches in uh in this port now run a lot better than they did in last year's and you can tell like they've added a heap of new animations which helps with the realism factor um but the biggest feature change for me in this year's one is the data hub uh so football manager is a game about digging deep into Uh, data and going through numbers and trying to figure out you know what your collection of players are good at and what they're not good at and what the opposition isn't so good at so you can take advantage of it and uh, beat them in in the upcoming matches Uh, the data hub kind of visualizes a lot of this data um, into fancy graphs and uh, stat trackers uh, that can help you form these conclusions a little bit quicker rather than just digging down like into you know four pages deep of of, of dry <laughs> spreadsheet stats that is uh that's probably my my favorite change about the whole thing um the one thing i will say is one of the on the box uh quotes is that it it touts better controller integration uh they've changed it a little but for me it's largely got the same problems that i experienced last year um some finickiness in terms of uh selecting uh specific options um i've had the occasion where the um area selection tool kind of just craps out and you have to sort of move away from it to go back to it which is not ideal that was in last year's game as well there are little tinkerings which have improved the way you nav- navigate through the screens, but the overall control scheme still has the same problems as last year. Yeah, th- there's not much to say about it. Again, it builds upon these strong strong things from last year. As I said a couple of episodes ago, the handheld version was going to be my Liverpool save because that is the easy mode, starting with a big club with a good squad and you know a bit of cash to splash. Um, whereas on the PC, I'm, I'm doing it the hard way. I'm playing as a poor club, several leagues lower, and 
you know, trying to make every penny count and <laughs> only jump into the transfer market when I need to and basically try and set up the team to uh, set up the team to take advantage of their strengths and attack the enemies, uh, the enemies, <laughs> the, the opposition's weaknesses. Because I'm, I'm playing this on, on my light, switch light, uh, alongside uh, Pokemon, which we're going to talk about soon. Um, I'm, I'm playing a couple of games a week, so I'm not too deep into my, my season. Um, doing okay so far, but again, I'm already starting with uh, a, a squad of superstars, so... Not much more to say about it. It's uh, it's Football Manager. It's good again. Um, just those minor control issues hold it back a little. Yeah, but just as uh, tactically deep as it ever was. And uh, yeah, looking forward to trying to win the league again with Liverpool this season. Okay, uh, Tori. Yes. Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Which one did you get? I got Brilliant Diamond. Same. So we can't compare notes. um and as i just mentioned i'm playing this on my uh switch light as well so just because i don't need to commute anymore my progress is slower than i would like but let's just talk about some of the the broad strokes first this is obviously a remaster of uh an old uh, game boy advance game was it was this a ds one this was a ds the first Ah, ds yes okay i should probably uh put some precursor on this i was very late to pokemon uh, my first one was black and white. My favorite is X and Y, if anyone cares. I've kind of been playing catch up on a lot of these, so the remakes are my usually my first go at some of these older versions. So, yeah, so uh, as it's a remake uh, or a remaster, it's had a big visual upgrade, so it sits nice at home on modern hardware. It's a very cutesy game. Um, the overworld stuff. It, it's kind of like the Link's Awakening remake where they've tried to recapture the spirit of the old game but high def it up um, now that has uh, that means in the overworld stuff your character is a, is a chibi character as are all the the uh, Pokemon trainers you, you combat along the way and then when you get into battles that's when they look a bit more human Tori <laughs> yeah. uh, you were the most uh, vocal against the the graphics uh, when they first announced it. You've had a, a turnaround on that now. Yeah, it's um, seeing it in person and actually playing it. For some reason, I've just turned around on it. It's actually kind of cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I still would have preferred something on the lines of like Sword and Shield, but mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were also hampered by their desire to stick as close to the originals as possible, which is uh, something they do uh, almost to a fault, I would say. So uh, one of the, the biggest improvements to this series for me recently has been that you can see what you're, what you're going to catch in the long grass. You run into it to trigger the, the catch encounter. Um, here it's back to random encounters, so you never know what you're going to get until the battle loads. Um, personally, I don't think there's any reason they couldn't have gone and done like the hybrid approach that we saw in uh, Sword and Shield. They didn't. They wanted to stay true to the original. Uh, it do- it doesn't feel anything but a step back for me. That uh, how did you land on that one? I mean, a lot of 
this game, it's going to be to the um, the fact that this feels much more like a remaster than a mm. remake. Um, a lot of the quality of life improvements that they've made to the Pokemon series have just been ignored, including from Platinum, apparently, which is a uh, enhanced third version. They just went back to the originals. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, I just the fact that it's a pure remaster has been kind of killing my energy to play it because I've already played it before. Mm-hmm. Pokemon games yeah, are a big time investment. So yeah, the the fact that you can't see Pokemon on the overfield that that was a really well received improvement. That's just gone. I thought once we had the uh, the uh, overworld Pokemon like in Let's Go, that would be it. Like that felt like a game changer for the series uh i can understand wanting to stay as close to the original experience as possible yeah like we've seen it in other remakes already so it's it's not a <laughs> it's not a reason not to but you know ah well it's 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 one of those things but uh yeah i i did say when let's go came out i didn't feel like could go back to the original style i'm still gonna see this through uh but it's just gonna be a, a whole mainline approach for me i'm just gonna battle through the story as i usually do and because of that like even as someone that's relatively new to pokemon this just feels like pokemon in its usual format um so it's not bad it's just the same as every as most of the other ones i've played yeah it's it's literally just classic pokemon so yeah i mean these games don't tend to be that long if you just barrel through the the storyline like the the slogans gotta catch them all but for me it's mostly like catch whatever you can along the way and shove them in the storage box and never touch them again um. at least you can access your box wherever mm-hmm. that's an improvement that they kept and then they ignored all the other ones yeah uh, i mean they did keep some of the modernizations like the the catch ball you can still do with a, a touch of one button instead of having to dig into the menu to get to your items to find the ball like that that stuff is really cool. You say you play the original. The the watch stuff was that in the original? Yeah, that was all on the touch screen. So the top mm-hmm. top screen on the DS was all the gameplay, and the bottom screen was the is mm-hmm. it the pocket or pocket tech? Yeah, pocket po- pocket. I think it's not not very well changed. Much changed. Yeah, it's 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 almost like too similar to really have anything to say about it like um <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to add it's pokemon um it's yeah. a remake of an old one it's exactly the same <laughs> that's about it um neither of us are fair enough to talk about the uh, underground room that you can decorate for some reason yeah i'm looking forward to that the underground was a good um time sink in the original so it looks like that's where the bulk of their improvements uh but we'll see andrew was it you that said the the underground was the only interesting thing that was in this one well it's randomly generated which is you know not so cool anymore but it was an interesting idea back then Mm -hmm. and like and you can literally pick where you want your base to be anywhere down in that underground area and they've added magic caves in this one that spawn specific types of pokemon within them now so 
I, I think in the DS version, you could just find fossils and gems you could sell for money or to bring the fossil back to life to get the fossil Pokemon. Like uh, the, the underground was the only thing from the DS game I felt was remotely memorable. So that was why I encouraged you to at least visit it <laughs> versus just mainlining the main game. Okay, uh, I'll take a look when it opens up <laughs> and take it from there. It's even, it's hard to say whether I'd recommend it or not because like, I'm going to play it. I'm going to enjoy it. Um, I think I said in the run-up to this as well that like, like I wanted it, but I, I wasn't excited for it because it it's kind of what I expected. I mean, Diamond is a special Pokemon game for me, so there was a part of me that was hoping that this would be a big improvement, but it isn't. Um, and I'm just struggling to find the willingness to actually play it and chip away at it. Mm-hmm. And, and like when when so little of the of that formula is different, it makes the the encounters with other trainers kind of even that bit more tiring because you're just like, cool, I just want to get through this section. Nope, I have to stop and battle um, youngster Gerald or whatever it is every ten seconds and just demolish them. And then carry <laughs> and carry on. Yeah, um, yeah, that that stuff can be a bit annoying. Well, that's it. <laughs> it is what it is. It's a very faithful remake of the original Diamond and Pearl games. Uh, uh, check that out if that's a thing you want. Uh, if you want something more advanced, then this one probably isn't for you. Okay, so the last one we're going to talk about is uh, Death's Door, which got a lot of. Uh, positive praise on the uh, PC release uh, finally on Switch. Andrew, you've been playing it? Yeah, I played it this week. Uh, Death's Door is kind of an ordinary action-adventure game, actually. I was... (laughs) I liked it, and I think it's a good game, but with all the build-up and all the hype it got, with its original release on Xbox and PC this year, I was expecting a lot more than I got, to be quite honest. Uh, I play as this crow who works for a celestial bureaucracy that hunts down souls. (laughs) You're a Grim Reaper, basically, but you're a crow. And you get a, a job from an office building to go to somebody who needs to die and take their soul. Pretty cliche at this point of a premise like that really uh hmm. the fact that you're a crow is really the only interesting thing about it uh but things quickly uh derail from that premise because the very first job that you're given to go out and gather this soul uh once you defeat like the tutorial boss that has that soul then another crow called the gray crow appears behind you and knocks you out and steals that soul from you and that's a problem because while the crow is kind of on this assignment to get this soul. Uh, his immortality is actually sacrificed. He's actually aging now. So his future is actually in jeopardy now until he can get that soul back. Anyway, he, he tracks the gray crow to this graveyard where uh, the crow has used that soul to try to open something called Death's Door, where uh, something similar has also happened to this gray crow. He needs to get a soul that's inside that door and thinks that if he feeds more soul power into that door, then uh, it will open so he can retrieve it. And so now my new quest as the crow is 
is to uh, track down more souls for this Grey Crow to, to open Death's Door, and so then we can both get our souls out of there and return to the bureaucracy and, and resume their immortality. And there are twists after that, obviously, <laughs> but nothing quite goes as planned. And that that's a pretty interesting premise. It's just, it tries to examine things that aren't as deep as it, it it thinks it is it 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 opens up all these questions about what is a soul what does this mean uh is what we're doing right is is like just really obvious stuff i just wasn't impressed by that stuff at all and the <laughs> game it, it's a well-made game but it's it's nothing that i haven't played before it's a an isometric 3d action game where the crow uses a sword and also has some magic that i can learn he starts off with a bow and arrow so he can i can shoot enemies but it's really weak so i I mostly just use that to activate a few switches in a few places and he learns a fire spell and a bomb spell and the fire spell can burn things the bomb spell can break down cracks in walls this game gets compared to the legend of zelda a lot and if I explore, I can find, like, uh, orb fragments. If I find four orb fragments, then I get a new hit point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be too down on this game, because it is a well-made game, and uh, I enjoy playing it. And uh, it's pretty challenging as well, and the bosses are, are really well-made. It's just... It's not special. It's not unique. It was. It didn't excite me in any way. It's just a well-made action-adventure game that, from one direction, you could say it's like Dark Souls. From the other direction, you could say it's like The Legend of Zelda. And like, if you like either of those games, or if you like both of those games, you'll enjoy Death's Door. But it's just... I was not impressed, personally. I enjoyed it. I was not impressed. Well, both those franchises are things I like, so <laughs> I will check it out at some point. Um, so yeah, I think that's it for the episode then. Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Andrew, we'll start with you. Uh, I've got an indie side-scrolling platformer, which is starring uh, medieval mice with swords, and I- I've said this before. If you give a mouse a sword, I'm going to play that game because I grew up reading the Redwall <laughs> novels. <laughs> it's called Tales of Iron, and uh, it, it, it's been described as a Dark Souls-style game, so I think it's just going to be a, a Metroid-style adventure platformer. But we'll find out. Uh, maybe I'll be surprised by it, but it looks really cool. I'm excited to play it. Nice. And Tori? Um, I've been sitting on uh, Yoko Taro's card game voice of cards for a while i'm thinking i'm gonna right. finally sit down and give it a good shot i like what i played in the demo but just haven't had the time to actually sit down and fully appreciate this yet it requires headphones and everything so you gotta kind of make it your your focus i think because it reads the story like a DD. uh for me uh i don't know i've got a lot in the backlog i've got a lot of things that i'm playing at the moment i'd like to talk about the uh, dying light dlc i'm sort of making good strides through the the main game in that so that might not be far off um i've got grand theft auto trilogy still coming uh early december um, I've kept my pre-order. You know, hopefully it's seen some patches by then, um, and I can have something to say <laughs> say about that. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure yet. 
and I think we're kind of at that point now where all the big releases have, have passed now. So it's going to come down to interesting indies or stuff on my backlog. So, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll see how that shakes out. So thanks for listening to episode 174 of the InFocus podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Uh, make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and The Power of X. The The three shows are all part of the Game Podular network. Uh, and you can join the Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all these things are in our show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can either buy us a coffee, or you can become a Game Podular Patreon. Details for both these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew. You can follow him on Twitter at PlayCritically, and you can read his long-form reviews over at PlayCritically.com. You can follow me at FlameRoastToast on Twitter, and uh, Tori is at Stew2, that's S-T-W-T-W-O. You can also catch Tori streams over at twitch.tv forward slash Tori S-T-W. Mm-hmm.